Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with a six-time Gold Glover and New York Mets bench coach, Eric Chavez. All right, let's do this! And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. Today on the program, I'm joined by a six-time gold glover. He's the current bench coach for the New York Mets. Happy to be joined by Eric Chavez. Chavi, welcome to the program. Bodie, what's going on? Thanks for having me on, brother. You got. Let's talk about the putt. All right, I'll set it up for, for the people out there listening to the Boone Podcast today. We, uh, Eric and myself, we just got back from a, a golf tournament, Pebble Beach, and we got into a shootout. We were in the same tier. I got eliminated right off the bat. Javi went on. He hits a great shot on the third hole. I mean, and let me set the stage a little bit. I mean, it's raining sideways. There's nowhere to putt on the greens. He hits one stiff about 10 feet. After coming off the previous hole, you made a great putt uh, to go on. You miss the putt, which under the conditions, I understand. Then you go into a chip off and I'm off to the side. Once again, I've been eliminated. And I'm watching you guys chip. First two, two guys in the chip off. They chip it down close to the hole, but it seems like there's a puddle. The ball stops. I see your chip, and I think it's good. I walk away. I said, Chavi's going on. Bledsoe's out. It was reversed. Did they squeegee the hole right before you chip? I don't know. And, and you know, the chipping part of my game is definitely the worst part. Um so, it, it, you know, those other two guys, uh, Drew and, and those uh, the other guy, had definitely had the, the leg up on me. But I thought, honestly, <clears throat> when I hit it, I took a little bit too much of a direct line. Um, not ever did I think it was going to be too hard because, like you said, there's that the green was watered. It was puddles everywhere. Um, and when I hit it, I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty decent. Um, and then to see it roll by like three or four feet, I was like, wow, like, where did that come from? So yeah, those, you know, honestly, it, do you remember the whole before how bad that, that green was? Like, oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it, it's ridi- like, you can't even play in this and we're playing it. It was unreal. I mean, that was, um, you know, I, yeah, that was kind of Mickey Mouse stuff there, but you know, I felt bad. That's, um, those aren't conditions that, that golfers need to, to deal with, but, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a great week, dude. That's that's one of my favorite weeks of the year. Uh, you know, when COVID came, uh, and I didn't go last year, and then I got a group to go back this year. But that's definitely my, my favorite week of the year. It's uh, uh, It usually runs to my birthday. My birthday is actually today. Well, happy um, birthday, too, by the way. So that that's kind of my, my birthday present to myself is to do that Pebble Beach trip every year. It is. It's a cool place. We got two, we got two decent – days out there we got two tough ones you know so that's 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 all you can ask for that's all that's that's, all you can ask for yeah that's all you can ask for two days too good too bad all right you ever get tired of talking about money ball i i okay i lived me and you were that was a that was a time when when the american league west it was a cool time to be in the american league west with with the oakland a's with the Seattle Mariners, the Angels, uh, and it was the Texas Rangers at the time. We were probably the class of baseball in the early 2000s, right around uh, when Moneyball came out. Now, never being an A, knowing you guys, competing against you guys for years, um, 
it was interesting for me as a fan to watch the movie. I thought it was a well done movie. Uh, but I always think because I knew you guys, you know, we, we always we would talk on the field. We interacted like, you know, not nor- I mean, we weren't going out to dinner after the games, but we, we kind of knew one another and, and on the field. I watched that movie and I thought, I wonder how much of that is accurate. Tell me what's accurate, what wasn't. And I know I talked to Billy Bean. He, I said, pretty cool getting played by Pitt. And he, you know, he just kind of laughed. But uh, what was the accurate yeah. part? What do you thought? I'll tell you what you you. I know you didn't buy a Coke, put your own coins in the Coke machine for a Coke. I know that. All right. Tell me the no, rest. No, that did not happen. But yeah, I mean, to your point, I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was a really well done baseball movie. Um, you know, as far as the whole concept of, of Moneyball, um, you know, we, we had some pretty good teams and, and we did, you know, we did enjoy competing. I mean, I mean, you know, we had some, some personalities on those teams as well. Like we, we had guys that, that went hard uh, off the field, but then we got them between the lines. We, we played extremely hard as well. And, um, you know, <clears throat> those years were, were obviously led by Jason Giambi, who, you know, to, it, to me, it was like the older brother, um, kind of my personality, how I treat people. I pretty much owe everything to him. I mean, he took me under his, under his wing and uh, just showed me what a leader was all about. Um and just so thankful to have him as a teammate and a friend. And, um, you know, we, we had good teams, you know, but the whole concept of Moneyball and, and, and this is, you know, I, this is not a jab at, at anybody or any type of concept or, or whatever, but we didn't accomplish anything. You know, I mean, the goal, I mean, Booney, you know, this, the goal is, is to win the world series. And if you look at what Theo did with Boston, um, with Theo did with the Cubs, um, to me, that's the story, you know, because as good as we were and, and, you know, we were chasing you guys that one year, you guys won all those 116, whatever it was. And the angels seemed to, if it wasn't the angels, it was you guys. And if it wasn't you guys, it was the angels. And it was like, you know, we were kind of stuck in the middle of trying to catch up to either the Mariners or the angels, but, um, you know, we didn't accomplish anything. We didn't win. And, you know, we, we were competitive. I, you know, I'm very thankful for that opportunity to be competitive, to be creative. Um, but also there's no pressure in that, in that atmosphere, right? Oh, we have no money. We lost big free agents. Um, so we got to get creative to putting a roster together. And, you know, I, now, you know, I'm, I'm obviously with the Mets now. This will be my second year, um, you know, being with the owner, Steve Cohen, and this guy is, he's putting money on the table. So when you talk about pressure to win, that's pressure. Like we feel, we felt the pressure last year. We signed a, tons of free agents. We signed Max to that big contract. And you look at what he's doing this offseason. I'm, I'm very thankful to, to be with an owner who does not have financial constraints. Um, but when you talk about pressure to perform and do something like this is, you know, what we did with the A's, it was kind of like, well, let's just go play ball and have fun. We, there's really no expectations. You know, if we, if we lose 90 games, it's not a big deal. Um, but that being said, you know, I do feel we felt short. There was two, two teams that <clears throat> on two, two different years that I felt that we had um, a team to kind of go win it all. And we just weren't able to do it as players. And that definitely falls on us. But 
Um, but when you talk about philosophies and, you know, it, it's only worth something if you win the dance. And we, we, we were never, we never even got to the dance. Um, and that solely lies on the, on the responsibility of the players. Yeah, some interesting points though, and and when you talk about Giambi to this day, you know, it was never uh, was never a teammate of Jason's, but one of my favorite guys. Not only was he a great player, but he, I think you wrapped it up uh, in the opening with uh, what kind of an influence he was on you as a younger player. But he had that that charismatic. He had that it factor that that resonated with not only not only teammates but guys that played against him because you know. Uh, playing out there, you don't necessarily like everybody on the other team. There's a respect factor, and then there's the fact, well, and also he's a good dude. Everybody kind of, and, and you probably felt that, everybody loved Jason and still yeah. do. I mean, he was just that guy, you know, the big the big teddy bear, the leader of the frat house, but could also was a superstar. And right. uh, I, I always looked to Jay. I always uh, had a fondness of him and not only how he played, but just he was a good dude. He was a, he was a fun guy to go out and hang out with and go to dinner with. But uh, yeah, you make some interesting points on there was no pressure. Uh, because yeah, you can play the, Oh, we're the lowly age. You know, we don't have any money and, and we just stick to this formula. I look at it in today's game a little bit and, and it, it might not be on point, but today it's gone. So analytical, you know, when, in those early two thousands, life was a little bit simpler. We didn't have cue cards in our back pockets to tell us where to play defense. Um, And that's not necessarily on the current players. It's, it's the culture. Now it's how the players are brought up, how they're taught. Um, but I often, you know, I'll, I'll have conversations with my brother about it. And I'll say, you know, the easy thing in managing, I think, Aaron, is follow the script, follow the computer, follow the analytics, follow the data to the T. Because if you lose, you could say, hey, I just followed the data. I said, that's an easy thing for me. <laughs> I said, if you want to be great, you got to have a great gut. And, and, yeah. and I'm not saying... Uh, throw the data out the window by by no means am I saying that I think there's certain things you do but but in a big situation a nut crunch in time I think the great ones go outside of the box and make a call and that's what makes greatness and, and if you stick to the script that's fine it's safe because everybody can come back and say hey we just stick to this. and the writers will go yeah you just did what the computer told them to do and that's easy I don't think you'll ever be great that way, but I don't think you'll ever get burnt. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm off. What do you know? That's no, you're absolutely right. But you know, take, take a look at what's going on. You know, your, your brother included uh, Dusty Baker. Um, We see Bochi getting back into the game. Um, You know, Buck, Buck is, you know, say what you want about Buck. Buck was doing analytics before analytics was even a thing. You know, the way he approached the game was very, um, you know, he was, he's so well prepared. Nothing, nothing was, was too fast for him. And that was the same, you know, working with him last year, but you know, you know, the, if you look at what happened with the Astros and Dusty's been, you know, what a situation for him to have to step into. And, you know, Dusty is very similar personality to a, a Jason Giambi where everybody loves him right now. You, <clears throat> Dusty's been going through uh, how many years has Dusty been in the game? And, he's still as revered as he was when he first started his managerial experience. And, you know, there was some rift over there, obviously with, I, I don't want to speak about another organization, um, but the Astros have led in analytics and Dusty probably 
you wouldn't really call them. Listen, listen. And I talk to my wife about this all the time. If you're in the game, you are an analytic person. Like it is part of the equation. And there's no doubt like analytics will are, are there to help you and guide you, but they're not there to make that. That's not the, the, the end all say all. Like it's not the way to always do something. And I, I think when you start to, when you have a personality like Dusty, where he gets to know, you know, or Buck and Bochi, Bochi's real personable. These guys that are real personable, um, Rob Thompson over there with Philly, um, you know, when you, when you get to understand the person that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, starting from February all the way to, you know, the World Series, if you make it, you start to understand what these people do. Now, there's there's analytics that, you know, Brett Boone has his analytics, I have my analytics, whatever you want to call it. But there's also, there's, you know, that nut crunching time, like you said, like, you know, like I had to make a putt. I had, I had a six foot, seven foot putt. Right. It's like, I, I, I should have drained that thing. And I came up two feet short. It was like, come on, dude. But you know, that being said, you have to have a pulse of the people that are playing the game. Yeah. We, you know, we're, we do what we do. We're high end athletes, but some of us strive. We do a little bit better in different situations. And I think as a manager, when you start to understand that and you take all the analytics and you have all the information, I see the, I see the information all game. Like I, I love the analytics. Like as soon as I came over from the player side to the <clears throat> the front office side, I embraced it right away. It was like, all right, let me see what you guys have. Let me let me use that information to make me smarter. And I think a lot of the time like what happened initially with the old school and the analytics and the division was like just be open-minded, right? There's always something you can learn from an experience, right? Whether it's good or bad, take it in. Listen to what the information says, and then hopefully at the end of that, you, you're a little bit smarter. And I think with Dusty, you know, with, with that situation with the Astros where they're very heavily analytics, I don't think Dusty is that way. Dusty, I guarantee you his personality was the same as it was 30 years ago when he started. And it worked. And he went into a really bad situation with the Astros a couple of years back, and he's done nothing but win since he's been there. So, um, you know, it, it – and Booney, I, I think anybody who's who's intelligent will tell you balance is everything in life, and it's no difference in baseball. You got to have balance. You got to have analytics. You got to have the baseball guys. You got to. But the important thing is you all come together and you're all pulling from the same side of the rope, and that's when good things happen. I think you're right. I, I mean, it still comes down to people, reading people, knowing people. Gut. What's it? What? What's this guy's? Everybody's different, you know. And playing with a lot of different players and a lot of personalities. And I overuse this phrase all the time, but I always say, you know, as a manager, if I were if I were in the manager's seat right now, I've got to take into consideration the personalities, the egos. I might have to kick you in the ass. And I might have to give another guy a hug to get the same uh, result. And that's just being smart. I think you mentioned yep. some of the and and not necessarily the old school, but the old guard. You mentioned a Bruce Bochy, a Buck Showalter, uh, obviously a Dusty Baker. I think they'd be foolish to just. Uh, no, we're going to do it the old way. You know, use this new technology. Use this data. Man, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous, you know, uh, that I played at a time 
Well, we still had a lot of access, but we didn't have what you have today. Man, I was I I don't know about you, but I was a geek for give me every piece of film that I can possibly watch before I go into a series. Nowadays, I'd have a laptop. I'd get there the night before a four game set. I'd sit in my room like a nerd and I would watch tape after tape after tape. I want to see that whole bullpen through. I want to see how they've been throwing the last two weeks. I want to see the starting pitcher tomorrow. But I also want to see his last start and the last time I faced him and I've got it all Correct. at my fingertips. Man, right. I'm jealous Correct. because that's yeah. all I live for. Is, and, and you know us back then, we're, we're looking around with the VCR and we've got uh, our video guy. Hey, can you pull? <laughs> well, Brad, I can't find that video. I'm like, oh, man, I wish I had that video today. To have that access is is just but but you you also you you come up with a good point of everybody's different and making that gut decision at that time. Who am I making the decision with? Do I trust this guy on the mound right now? You might have a Max Scherzer. You might have a young rookie on the mound. You're going to make a different decision with those two different personalities, with those two heartbeats. And I think it's really interesting, but I think you're right. Uh, You'd be foolish in 2022 to to dismiss everything that you have available to you and just say, no, I'm an old school guy. I don't, I don't do this analytical stuff. I think you'd be foolish. You got to change with the times, you know, you're always going to have your favorite generation, your favorite era. I love the era we played in. Uh, I also love, you know, when I was a kid, Growing up watching my dad play, I love that generation. You know, some of my fondest memories are being a kid of a big leaguer and going to the ballpark and hanging out with those guys. Those are some fun times for me. Love talking to my grandpa about his era and the, and the great players of, of yesteryear. And I look to this generation now. It's not what we played in. But I embrace some of the things. I have a son playing in the minor leagues. I love talking to him about uh, new concepts, and he'll bring stuff to me. It just shows you we can always learn. I'm learning from a from a 21 year old kid telling me, "Dad, this yeah. is what this is what I'm working on. This, this, and this. What do you think?" Well, I don't agree with everything, but sometimes I go, "You know, that's a that's a that's a smart that's a smart thing right now. Let me look into this a little more. That might be really really kind of cutting edge." So I don't know. It's cool, and it and it just. Our game is such a great game and it's constantly evolving. And I always tell the players of today, the players of our generation, the generation before history will judge each and every generation. You know, yeah. and we'll know one yeah. day, who, you know, everybody's gonna have their favorite, but history judges, let, let the kids play, let it do it, let it, let them do it their way. I laugh, uh, you know, and you were probably a part of this, too. I'm sure you've been asked this question in the last couple of years. What are the uh, unwritten rules of baseball? And I remember when I first got asked that question. I said, let me think about that. <laughs> and, and I thought about it and I said, here's my answer. My answer is whatever the current players deem them to be. Because it doesn't yeah. matter what Brett Boone, retired player, thinks the unwritten rules are. That was my time. I know what they were when we played, but it's whatever the current players decide they are. And one day right. those guys are going to be retired players and it's going to be a new crop of players that deem what is correct. What are the written rules? Who gets hit by a pitch? Who doesn't? But that's for each and every generation. No, that's that's you're 100% right. You know, and there's I think. When, when you have the turnover, right, from player to non-player or front office or coach or whatever it is, there's some things that bother you and you're like, woo, right? Because you're, you're still stuck in that old skin. But, um, yeah, the players have to police the game. 
where you're 100% right. There's no more, you know, the manager walks down and says, Hey, uh, he's going down next inning. Like it, it just, the players have to police their game themselves. You're, you're 100% right. And it's like, I, you know, I was scared to death. You know, I, I did not want to pimp a Homer. That was like, you know, I walked in the league. Like I was, there were a lot of nerves, right? There was big personalities that we had to deal with in our game. Like these guys were massive personalities, you know, Pedro and Roger and, you know, Randy Johnson. It was like, are you going to sit in there and pimp a home run off of those guys? There's no way. I meant if some of these guys had, you know, done what they would done 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they, they, they'd be lying on the floor. And I, you know, like you said, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's their game now. It's not my game anymore. There's information and there's knowledge that I want to pass on to help these guys perform, but it's their game. You guys have to take it where, where you want to take it. And, and, and that's it. Like we, we might, we're still going to have opinions about it. There's certain things that definitely I don't like. And, um, you know, I, I played the game a little bit differently where you respected the, the opponent, you played hard, you did everything you could to beat them, but you don't show them up. Um, and I, I, I'll, I will always kind of abide by that. That's just to me, just something that's common sense is you respect your opponent. You don't, you definitely don't have to like them. You definitely want to beat their brains in, but you, you know, you don't want to show anybody up. That's just the way competition for me was taught. Um, it, it was taught from fear for me. Um, you know, I've, I was only hit six times. In my whole career, dude, 17 years, I was hit six times. And at least three of them were on purpose. And, and Jamie Moyer was one of them who, who, threw, who threw right at my head. And Jamie only threw, what, 84, 85 at best? <laughs> at best. <laughs> right? But I, but I think he was just so fed up. Like, because I would just lean on Jamie. Like, whatever it was, his, I could see it out of his hand. And he just got fed up. And it was like, I'm not letting you do this anymore. And I hit the deck. It was, it was like right at my right at my ear hole. And you know, thank God I was able to go down. But it was like, hey, hey, kid, you're not you're not going to be. Com- you may beat me, but you're not going to be comfortable anymore. So it's like you're right. The guys that are playing this game, they have to police their own game. And and listen, it is what it is. It's a great game. Um, it's played differently, but it's but you're right. At, through different generations, it, it's changed. The game will change. It'll change. In the next 10 years, in the next 20 years, um, who knows what the game's going to look like. But um, it, it's still a great game. You know, it, it's like I, I belong to a couple golf courses, and um, people love the game of baseball. They, they love it. They love talking about it. I played golf this morning with a, with a group, and these guys are 70, 75 years old out here in Palm Springs, and they, they love baseball. They eat it up. They, they, they're paying attention to it. Um, and it's just – it's a great game. You know, and, and it's going to change and there's, you know, they try to make changes to it constantly where they're trying to make it better. Um, I think we all got to be open minded to that as far as, uh, you know, how long the game's played and uh, TV and, and stuff like that. Um, it, it, it all matters, you know, right. We're trying to make it best for the viewership. And um, if you, I, I think everybody is pretty on board with, if you do nothing to change it, it's probably not going to do well moving forward because the world's constantly changing. And so it does seem like we're making a lot of changes and we're, and we're doing a couple of them uh, this year, which should be pretty interesting on my, myself. Um, I like the banning of the shift. I never liked the way it looked aesthetically um, when I first saw it. 
Um, so I'm kind of happy to kind of go back to uh, kind of banning that a little bit. So that'll be interesting to see what the left-handed hitters, you know, what, what type of jump they do in average. But, um, you know, you just try to make the game as, as good as possible for this generation, for the, for the next generation to make it interesting and fun. And if you do nothing, you know, it's just going to get left in the future. And so you kind of have to make changes as the world's changing and try to keep up with what's going on in society. I'm interested too in the shift. A lot of left-handed hitters, you know, they've gone public and said, "Oh, if they ban the shift, well, they got a lot of pressure on them." Show me that you can hit now when they ban the shift. <laughs> but true. you know, and I, and I think that you you bring up the shift. It, it's different, you know, for us because I, I think the swing has evolved. It's changed. You're taught one way. It's almost, and I don't want to say robotic, but there's almost a launch angle. I see the young players coming up today and they practice almost like a golfer, you know, where it's just mm-hmm. technique where our philosophy is more get your body in a good position, get a good pitch to hit and let it fly. And, and there, there was a less predictability to that swing. I think when you get mechanical with the swing, you might be able to lever- leverage uh, your power a little bit more, but I think the swing and the result becomes more, uh, maybe predictable. And that's why the shift has done what it's done. Uh, I, I always tell young kids and, and, and it's like, give me a good at bat. Let's not worry about launch angle. Not let's mm-hmm. not worry about this. Not let's not worry about that. Get your body in position on time to see the pitch. And you know, you know, my philosophy, let it rip, man, as hard <laughs> as you can. But you got to be you got to get your body in that position so you can so you can let it rip, because if you just let it rip, you're going to be an out of control mess. But uh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to me. I, I love the bigger bases. I wish we had bigger bases. It might it might end up in being safe three or four times, you know, more I, a but year. Play, but how how great like inches and our game is like huge. <laughs> it's it's like a hundred feet. That's like yeah, I, yeah. From from a safety standpoint, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that works. But you know, some of those fast guys that were, you know, bang bang, or you know, some of the infielders, right, who would get the ball there just before the step before the runner gets there. They they knew how to time it perfectly. Um, it's gonna that's gonna change a lot. Just the the, the bases itself. I meant. I'm very interested to see what, what how that how that takes over this year. But you know, as far as the, the hitting goes, you know, when I was <clears throat> when I jumped into the the hitting coach last year, I was a bit nervous, you know, because I I'd been in the front office and I had seen what guys are doing in the minor leagues, um, what these Instagram coaches are been teaching hitters, you know, with the launch angle and you know, get the ball up in the air and keep it off the ground. And I was like, man, I was seeing things that, that make me puke. And so I was a little worried going into the season as far as, okay, what is this going to look like on a day-to-day basis? Um, Cause being in the front office, I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't in the, in the trenches with everybody. I didn't get to hear what people were talking about. And, and thank God I went to a team that just had professional hitters. Um, it, it's like, it, that that disease, the way people were were teaching everybody how to hit, where you're, you know, like like Judge does it right, and he's well, he can do it, under, right? He can do it. What people don't understand is like when you first of all, when you when you look at a Tiger Woods or a Mike Trout or a Aaron Judge, first of all, physically, you don't have any of those tools to work with. 
right? Trout's arms are short. He's he's compact. He's lower base. He's he's got he's got core strength, um, and he does it differently. I I would not teach my kids how to hit like Mike Trout or Aaron Judge. Now it works for them, right? You gotta find you gotta find what works for Brett Brune and John Oliver. There's no way you could talk hitting the same way. There might be same concepts of what you two hitters are trying to do, but it's going to be completely different about how you go about it. And, and, and that's totally fine. But we had, we had, thank God we had professional hitters. And, and what you said was like, just give me a good quality at bat. And that's literally the first words that came out of my mouth when I addressed, when I addressed our hitters was, I'm not going to talk launch angle. I'm not going to talk exit velocity. I'm not going to talk batting average or home runs. I don't even care. I said, I guarantee you, the only thing that I care about is you guys give good quality at bats, five, 600 of them, whatever you do, and you give good quality at bats, your numbers will be where they're supposed to be, right? Don't try to hit the ball in the air. Don't try to hit the ball 115 miles an hour, right? It's, it's in the, the, the process of what you're doing. Hitting is, is very, it's, as hard as it is, it's very simple. Short, compact, work above the baseball. Like that, like as, as hard as these guys are throwing now, every, every, every pitcher in the rotation throws 95 plus. Every guy out of the pen throws 100. There's, there's sliders that are 93, 94 miles an hour. It's like you don't have the time to dip below, drag the barrel, catch it out front, and then hopefully, you know, hit a home run. Like it's just that philosophy to me is just like what, like what are you guys doing? And I'll, so I'll go away from my younger son for a few months, and he came to New York like in May, May or June, and he got in the cage, and I was like, oh my god, who have you been working with? This is it was like, Boney. He'd put the ball on the tee, he'd hit it straight on the top of the cage. <laughs> and I almost puked. I, I looked at my assistant. I said, can you work with him? Because I'm literally going to strangle him right now. Like, I don't know who you've been working with, but it's absolutely terrible. And I spent three days just trying to get him back to just get him back to neutral. And it was like line drives play. I don't care what generation you're in. Line drives will play. Like if you're sitting here trying to hit homers. Well, first of all, let, let's look at this. If everybody wants to talk analytics. Let's look at this at a, from a very simple point of view, right? Of If you have a good year, what's an average year in hits that you're probably going to be around? About 150, right? Mm-hmm. More or less, about 150 hits a year, right? you'd say? So Yeah, I think that's it, fair. Yeah, 100, out of 600 at-bats, what at 550, 600 at-bats, about 140, 150, 60 at hits, whatever it is. And... You're going to take that swing, right, which is usually a line drive or, you know, a ball in the gap, whatever it is, and you're going to take the 20 homers, that percent that you're going to hit out, and you're going to practice that swing to get to 25 homers. And then now you're going to drop down to 110 hits a year with 25 homers, and you're going to be hitting 200 with, with a 305 on base. Like just from, just from like, and if people love numbers, like, so you're telling me like, that's like telling like, okay, I'm going to practice my golf swing for the 400 yard drive. That's, that's the swing that I'm, I'm going to just focus on instead of the drive, like that I'm just going to put in the fairway. 
that I can control, and right? And that I can control and be consistent with, right? Because that that's you know when you talk about hall of fame, you, you talk about health, you talk about consistency. Consistency is the number one thing, and that's what I told players. I said, listen, the reason I can speak to you on I was the most inconsistent player on the planet. It was like for two weeks I'd be unbelievable, and then for the next six days I I, I couldn't hit water out. You know, if I fell out of a boat, it was like where where did he go? Swinging that pitch is all over the place. Like, and it was like, once I got older and I learned, like when I went to New York and I, and I, <clears throat> I played for Joe for Girardi, it was like, I literally told myself, I said, just give Joe four good quality at bats. When he puts you in the lineup, don't worry about numbers. You got a rod. There's Cano, there's Jeter, there's Andrew Jones. Like everybody's going to put up the numbers, but you just give Joe four quality at bats and make every routine play. Like that is, that was my mindset when I went to New York. And even though I was a backup, my, my game became so much more consistent because it, it was, I focus on the things that I, I should be doing at a high level pretty consistently. And I put my mindset there and it just, it, it just, it is like an epiphany for me. You know, it was just like, man, you've been just, you know, I try to hit the three run homer in Oakland. Like that was what I was trying to do. It's like, no, how about the single up the middle or single the other way to win the ball game? And it was like, yeah, I hit a couple of those three one homers, which are great, but th- those are hard to come by. You know, take a, li- a nice line drive swing and consistently over, you know, 162, you know, your number is going to look a lot better. So, and, and thank goodness I had a, a bunch of hitters that were professional hitters, you know, Canna, Marte, Eduardo Escobar. Um, Jeff McNeil won the batting title. Even Pete Alonzo was like, I got more compliments on, on Pete Alonzo this year because uh, coaches from the other staff or players were like, we don't know how to pitch them because he'll take a, he'll take a, a single to right field, you know, with, with man on second and third or first and third. You know, he's not just trying to hit the three-run homer. He became a tougher out. And that was kind of the philosophy, the mental philosophy or approach um, that I kind of was speaking about last year. And, and, you know, people said we don't hit enough home runs and yeah, we probably could have hit some more. Um, but from an offensive standpoint, it was really fun on a, on a day, on a daily basis to see our guys go out there compete. I'll tell you what the hitting coach, that's for the birds. It's like people ask me about it. I said, it's the hardest, most thankless job in the world. Now, not with your players, your players appreciate it. The people on the ground with you, they appreciate it. But from a public, uh, you know, from that public scope, it's like two things. You either rake and those players are great players. But if you don't have a big offensive season, you're the worst hitting coach in the world. That, that's how it is. There's yeah. no, there's nothing there. And and I've had enough hitting coaches. And, and not only that, it's so hard to be a good hitting coach because there's so many different things. I don't know about you, but the guys in my career that really resonated with me were not necessarily the guys in there and got mechanical on me. It, it was the guys that could walk by me, say something, keep walking, and me kind of go, <laughs> ding, wow, why didn't I think of that? Now, all of a sudden, right. I've got a chance, you know? And right. it's that guy right. that can tap into that, speaks your language, that when they say something, it resonates with you. I, I sit there, go round and round with young players. And 
I think, man, I, I really love talking at this stage where I really love talking the, the, the mental side of the game, the approach, everything leading up to that at bat, not how I swing, but what's going on in my mind when I leave that on deck circle. As I got older, uh, the second half of my career, I got a lot better at it with going with an approach and not wavering from it. And in my time right. in Seattle, that's what I would do. I le- learned a lot of that from Edgar Martinez, but it's so tough. And, and then, ah, man, it, well, it's, let, a, let me, it's a let great me, point. The, actually, home run, let, the home run I, thing, I, the home run yeah. thing. It's like, I don't know about you either. It, contrary to what people think about my swing, because I swung pretty hard. Never was I trying to hit a home run. I was trying to get a good pitch a hit and hit it as hard as I could hit it somewhere. But, well, it, it, but honestly, if I try to hit home other, runs, go ahead. Yeah. No, what I was going to ask you too about playing with all those good hitters, but it looked like to me that you were trying to hit a double in the gap to the opposite field. Like that to me was like this guy is looking to stay inside the ball and hit something hard into the gap to right center field. Without a doubt, I I laugh at people today with oh we got to hit home runs because home runs are sexy, and I think. I've got to have a good approach to get to the home run. Those years, you know, and like like yourself, you were saying inconsistent. I was like that, too. Check out my bubblegum card. I've got some lean years. I had a really good year in Cincinnati. The next year I hit 223 and I didn't know what to do. You know, almost in tears after the game, like I I forgot how to hit. And I thought and I was hitting 223. It's like I wasn't going to have a big home run season if I'm having a bad average season for me. The only right. the years that I hit a lot of home runs were when I was really hitting the ball well, when I was hitting 280, 290, 310. Those are the years I'm probably going to have a lot of home runs because I'm having really good, consistent at-bats. When you have good, consistent at-bats, home runs just come. And right. today, there's so much emphasis putting on the power. It's like, I'm going to go out there and try to hit home runs. I'm going to be the worst player in the league. Not only for me, if I try to hit home runs, am I not going to hit many home runs? but I'm also going to be an easy out. It, right. it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, no, that's, it's, you make a, a really, really good point. The, the best advice I'd, I'd ever gotten is I was um, a very, you know, I, I never hit the first two months of the season. I was probably like a 240 hitter, which is pro- probably why I'd never made an all-star team. Um, but David Justice came over from the Yankees and I, we're in spring training. I said, DJ, I said, what do I got to do to get off to a good start in April? Cause I've been terrible. And this is probably my, I don't know, my eighth year, ninth year or something like that. And he told me, child, he goes, get as many singles in April as you can. He's like, once you find that single stroke, you'll start to get warmed up where you're, you can start getting into the doubles and the triples and the homers, what, you know, whatever it be. And I was like, okay. So without anything mechanical, Without it, and just like you said, there's those people that just say something to you, and when you can change somebody's thought, what what also happens is something mechanical happens as well without just going straight to mechanics, right? So he shortened up my swing, and I had more barrel control, and all I was doing was focusing on just getting the barrel to the baseball consistently without trying to do too much, and I've. I'm shit you not, Booney. I didn't get a single for the first 14 games. It's like the first two weeks of the season, all I hit were doubles and homers. 
and I was just trying to hit singles. And it was like, and, and it was just those, that, that type of like mental, you know, those things you kind of get along the road is like, wow. So do less and you might get more, but if you try to do more, you're definitely going to end up with less. And it yeah. was like, holy crap. And so I just, I was like, man, get as many singles as I can. And that was my whole approach. Stay short to the baseball, you, you know, get the barrel to the baseball when I want to get it there and, and hit your pitch. And all I hit were doubles and homers for the first, like, I didn't get a single to like game number 15 or something. Like it was, it was just like, <laughs> but it was one of the best advice that I, you know, best advice I'd ever got from as far as like the hitting aspect of things. And, and it's like you said, like the guy just kind of went right by you, whispered something to you. And it was like, yep, you know what? You're right. And it yeah. was, the, yeah. And it, it was, it was awesome. I took that with me for my rest of my career. And then I got off to better starts just from that one little thing without even talking hitting or mechanics or anything. Um, so I was very grateful. Th those are the things along, you know, that that's why, you know, your brother and, and some of us that have played the game, you know, it's important that we stay in this game because we, you know, we played in a generation with guys that were doing things that were just phenomenal. Um, and there's, there's a lot of knowledge, you know, imagine having conversations with, with Derek Jeter, or, you know, whoever it is, like we need, we need guys to stay in the game and, and to help out this next generation. Um, you know, it's just that, that's what keeps me going. That's my burn. You know, I, I never won a world series. That's kind of, you know, the last thing I want to do, I want to manage here, you know, before I, I head out of this game. But um, I just love passing along the knowledge. I want, I want to help people the way Giambi helped me, Justice helped me, you know, other players and managers helped me throughout my way to kind of make me a better player. And that's the only thing I want in this game. Like, I, I do. I love this game. It's the only thing I've ever known since I was four years old. And I absolutely love it. And I, I just, there's, there's some knowledge there. Like I, you know, defensively, I had to work my butt off to become a good defensive third baseman. Like they wrote me off like, oh, this guy can hit, but he can't play defense. And I was like, nope, that ain't going to work with me. And defense became so much more important to me than, than offense did. Like it mattered. Like there, there was days, right? You, I mean, you know, you go 0 for 13, you can't sleep. But defense kept me going. I was like, if I'm not getting hits, you ain't getting hits. And it was that's, like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to show up with that glove every single day. And that's what drove me. I I'll tell you the story. It was early. My first year there, TJ Matthews was pitching and, uh, a guy rolled over to me. I forget who it was. The ball went right through my leg. And I don't, do you remember TJ Matthews at all? Can you envision, envision him a righty yep. kind of short stocky? Yep. I remember. And he, he, he looks at me and he's, he's kind of, his face is red. I'm like, Oh crap. Next pitch, same guy does the same thing right through my legs. And he circles around, home plate kind of makes his way towards third. And he goes, you better get your head out of your ass. And he was like, I literally saw the devil. Like he was – and listen, this is, this is when I figured, and I was like, it dawned on me, right? Like not only like is my play affecting me and our team, it's – it's affecting that guy's livelihood, right? That wasn't like he was angry, like, you know, for some superficial reason. 
it dawned on me that that dude is pitching for his career, like his earnings. Like that's how he's making a living. And it was like this moment of like clarity for me. of you better become the best third baseman you possibly can and fill every routine ball because you're affecting that guy's life. And so that, that was my motivation to just become the best defensive third baseman that I could. It was never to win gold gloves. I, I really, that was all great, but I understood what defense meant to the pitcher and what defense meant to the team. And regardless of how crappy I was doing hitting or how good I was hitting, it was like when I stepped in those lines and went to third, I was going to catch the ball. And, and that, was, that was my motivation. Without a doubt. And I think as young players, you know, when we're amateurs, uh, everybody, I mean, let's be honest, to this day, everybody wants to hit. Hitting's always going to be the best. But I'll, I'll tell you, I learned it at a young, at a young age as well. Coming up, I, you know, I was touted as a real offensive second baseman. And I took that kind of not as an insult, but it's like, wait a minute, I, I can play defense, too. And right. like what you were saying, I really worked on my defense as a young player. I wanted to be as good as I could possibly be because I it was kind of an insult to me saying you're an offensive second baseman. I wanted to be a well-rounded second baseman. And right. I took and I took it personal and I really worked hard. And you're right. I mean, you're you're not going to always hit in this game and even the greatest of the greats are going to have off nights at the place, but but that glove never goes away. If you yeah. hone it in, and it can keep you sane. It can allow you to sleep at night. You know, take it, taking it defensively and say, okay, if I'm not getting any hits, I think you summed it up perfect. You're not getting any hits. And it keeps you going. I remember having yeah. these talks with Edgar. I said, Edgar, I, I've got a little solace. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm one for my last 12, but I just turned a hell of a double play to end the game. So I can yeah. sleep tonight. You know, he right, has nothing. Right. He's, he's riding the stationary bike. <laughs> and and uh, I think, I thank goodness that, that I, I was able to do that and, and play defense and, and play defense at a high level because it kept me sane on those lean times when you're not hitting because man, it, hitting as much as we love it, it. It's, it's like you love it and you hate it because it's, yeah. it's so hard. It's so hard to do, but when you do it, I mean, it's the most fulfilling thing in the world. Having just just feeling that feeling when you when you smoke a ball and you're leaving the batter's box, there's nothing that could ever replace that in your life. You know, I've never seen anything. Yeah, when we hit a good tee ball, that's great. When we hit a good putt, that's great. But that crack of the bat when you hit a homer, I don't know if we'll ever have anything replace that in our life. Uh, not yeah. playing anymore. So um, yeah, that's that's a great point. The defense. A huge thing. Um, you were born in L.A. You grew up in San Diego. Uh, Eric Chott, what were you like as a little kid? Is it always baseball? Did you, what else? Yeah, it was, um, man, I, I, all I could remember was, was going into, like, my third grade class from, from recess or whatever it was, sweaty. Like, absolutely sweaty from just, I don't know if it was kickball, tetherball. Um, I just remember just being super competitive. Um, I remember at school they were, you know, they used to, they used to do the, the Olympics and the, the running and they'd hand out ribbons and the blue ribbons. And it was like, all I wanted was a first place ribbon. Like 
I was just so motivated by competition and winning. Um, it was never even like my success was never because I enjoyed people telling me like how good, how good I was or awesome way to go. It was just me knowing that I, that I won, you know, that I went for it and, and won. And, and you're right. You, you talk about golf now. Like why do so many people play golf when we're done? It's the only competition we have left, right? Like we can't get on the basketball court anymore. You know, like our knees are spent, our backs right. are hurting. Right. You can it's try. It's the only sport. Yeah. And it's so competitive and challenging. And we ta- I talked about it today. It was like this, this old guy, Terry Hackett, he's, He's got to be about 77, 78, whatever it is. But these guys move the ball around. Right? I, I'll tell you what, they, they make me pretty excited for the next 20, 30 years, knowing, you know, that these guys are still hitting a golf ball, putting up pretty decent scores. But, you know, he just goes, you love and you hate this game. It's a love-hate. I said, I know, Terry. I said, the crazy thing is this ball's not moving. And he goes, yep, it's not a 93-mile-an-hour moving slider, is it? I said, nope, but I'd like my chances against that and this white ball not moving at all. But it's – Golf will get the best of you, but it's, you know, it's what gets the blood pumping. And it's, you know, when I was young, it was all about competition. Uh, I played basketball, loved basketball. And I did play basketball in the off season for a lot of years. I think it's your brother blew out his knee and that kind of put a, a spook into everybody. Yeah. You, um, you might want to shut you know. that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This might not be a good idea. Um, and I played a little bit of football, but not much. I didn't even pick up golf till I was, 21 um my second year i think tim Raines, rock Raines, was like hey kid you play golf I said nope he goes well get yourself a set of clubs we're going to be going on the road i was like you got it mr Raines." and so tim would take me out to these nice courses throughout the year i didn't i didn't know anything about golf at the time and we end up playing all these nice courses throughout the season and i was <clears throat> i was platooning at the time so you know, i wasn't an everyday player until my third year but you know, Rock got me my first set of clubs and, and he'd take me on the road with him. And um, that's when I started playing golf when I was about 21. You almost went to SC. I didn't know that. You almost yep, played yeah. for, for Gillespie, who I played yeah. for. Uh, I got out of there in 90, but that kind of changed because uh, your first round pick, Oakland A's. Uh, 1996, 10th pick overall. So that back then, did you, did you even consider still going to college, even though you were the well, 10th pick or was it a done well, deal? Well, check this out. Check this out. This is a crazy story. And I know Billy only drafted you cause you went to the same high school. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that when the, the A's came by, like, you know, we, we had another first rounder, Eric Munson, that was on the team and he was going to SC. I was going to SC. He was going to be drafted in the first round. So we had tons of people. We were number one in the country. So we had tons of scouts at our games. And the A's never once said anything that they were interested in me. So I had no inclination that they were uh, even, even, even on me at all. But uh, so, yeah, they, they took me with the 10th pick. I wanted to go to the Padres really bad. I think the Padres were picked like 15th or 16th. And uh, that, that's where my heart was at. But um, the A's took me. And we couldn't, we couldn't uh, come to an agreement. This was, this was back. There was a, a deadline. Um, I forget what the deadline was, but I had moved into the dorms at SC. Me and Munson had moved in. What dorm? I'm in the dorms. The what dorm, dorm room. I don't, I don't, I don't, it was, that's too long for me to remember. Oh, I, floor tower. I that's where I lived. All right, go ahead. I don't, I don't <laughs> remember. So the night before 
about 7 p.m., I'm going to, what is it, the, the class the next day? To, what's that? The, you go check in the classes the next day and see what's going on. I yeah, it's what kind it of o- orientation. Orientation, orientation. There you go. So uh, I get a, it, no, no cell phones back then. And I, you know, somebody said, hey, where's Eric Chavez? There's a phone call for him. I was like, oh, okay. Get on the phone. He's like, Billy Bean. He's like, hey, Eric. He's like, hey. He's like, where are you at? I said, I'm at USC. He goes, oh, he's like, uh, well, do me a favor. He's like, don't step on campus tomorrow. We'll give you, we'll give you what you're asking for. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, whatever you do, do not step foot on campus. I was like, oh my God, like this is going down. And I had been so upset with, they, they were trying to lowball me. Like Billy knew the town I grew up in, the house I grew up in, which wasn't even a house. And he was like, these guys don't have money. He's not going to school. And I was like, this is how naive I was. I was like, screw you. I'm going to school. Like, I was like, my best friend's there. Like, if this is my consolation prize is to go to SC and, and go win a couple national championships, like, I'm like, all right, this is it. So he, he calls me, he says, don't, we'll give you whatever you want. And I, that was my, the worst thing was I had to go to Gillespie's office and tell him that I wasn't coming to SC. And it was like literally one day and I would have been at SC for three years. And wow. I was like, yeah, I had, I had stopped contact with, with Billy about, I don't know, a month and a half prior to this. And I told my parents, I'm not, I'm going to SC. I'm not dealing with this dude anymore. I'm done with him. And they were, I mean, at the time it was like, it was slot, right? Every, every number had a slot. Right. And my slot was one, 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 two, whatever it was. And I wasn't asking for more. I wasn't asking for less. They're at 800, right? It was like something like the 30th pick slot money is what they were offering me. And I was like, you guys, and they wouldn't budge. And I was like, I'm not budging either. You know, I, I, I didn't even really know what, how much money, you know, $800,000 was back then. But I was like, nope, I want what I deserve. I want where I'm at. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to college. And so he called me about 7, 7.30 that night. and was like, don't go. He's like, I guess you're not bluffing. I said, no, I wasn't bluffing, man. Negotiation? So I ended up, I, yeah, I ended up signing the next day. Negotiation 101. You go to, uh, you get through the minor leagues fast. You know, I was looking, yeah. I was looking at your numbers. You go, you go a hundred ribbies your first year. What are you, 18 years old, 19 years old in Visalia? And then you go to Huntsville. I played in that league, uh, the Southern League. You, you raked 328 with 28 homers. And then you get called, you go to Edmonton, you hit 325, and you get called up in 98. So how old were you when you got to the biggest? Were you 19 or 20? Yeah. No, I was 20. Yeah, I was 20. And I, I almost, minor league player of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I almost quit after my first year. Like it was, I had a, I had a tough. <clears throat> I'd never been away from home. Uh, matter of fact, when I drove from San Diego to Arizona that year, I cried like a baby for two hours. I was like, "What am I doing? What am I getting myself into?" And I wasn't very. Uh, uh, I didn't have like a lot of friends. I wasn't socially like you know in the know of things. And so I was kind of in my bubble with my friends and uh, didn't drink at the time, never had a drink until I was like 19. Um, so it was like, oh my God, the world's just opening up to me. And I went to Pahaye and I was stuck on <clears throat> 90, 
like 97 RBIs for the last two weeks. I couldn't get them. And I faced this tough lefty, my last at bat, hadn't give up a home run against a left-hander hitter the whole year. And I ended up hitting a three-run homer for 100 ribbies. I think it went out, I hit like 271 with 100 ribbies. And I, I didn't know what that was, right? Because I came out of high school, I hit five, 570. So this is how dumb I was. Like 270 felt like I'm terrible, <laughs> you know? And I was, I was just miserable. I was sick. I was homesick. And I wanted to quit. I went home for two weeks and I was just, didn't talk to anybody. Uh, you know, went back home to my parents' house. It was like, man, I don't know if I want to do this for the rest of my life. And obviously a couple months wear off and, and things get, you know, my perspective changes, but you know, it was, that was a tough year for me. And then kind of that next year going into double a, that's when things really kind of took off for me as a hitter um, where I just, I, I started to drive the ball out of the park, even though I hit 17 homers, like it, I didn't really feel like a power hitter. And then my power kind of came that second year when I was 20 and that's when I kind of started to learn how to drive the ball a little bit. And that was, that was a tough league. The, the bus trips and the, the weather, the humidity, um, that was definitely a, a tough so year. Ni- but, so uh, 90, 98 was, you went to three different levels in 98. You were in Huntsville, yeah. Edmonton, and then the big league. So you hit 39 yes. homers that year. Well, I know yeah. that's Southern League. That's a tough league uh, from yeah. the hitter's perspective. Now, you go to Edmonton, that's a good place to hit. That's a good league to hit that that uh pacific coast league but those are ridiculous i mean that's like and and you mentioned the hundred ribbies it's like for the others of you listening out there a hundred ribbies in the minor leagues that's a big deal now i mean chavi you're you're the bench coach of the mets if you're going through your yeah. minor leagues right now and you see a kid in a ball at yeah. 18 years old that drove in 100 ribbies that's going to open your eyes yeah no doubt about it yeah but that's yeah. that's just me being naive not knowing much about what i was looking at um you know, yeah, it's just pretty ridiculous, you know, just think about it. But, you know, that that's the thing. And I, I talked to – I forget who else I was talking about. I was like, you know, if I had – I'm not so sure that going to SC for three years probably wouldn't have been the better road for me. Obviously, my career worked out. Um, but from a from a life standpoint of, of maturing, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty understanding now of, of when you choose a high school kid, you, you better dig deep into the personality. Um, there was a bunch of guys that were drafted from San Diego in the first couple of rounds. They all, they all went home and retired after the second year. Like it was just like, you know, whatever it was being from San Diego, right. We got good weather, beaches, sports, every, like everything, good looking girls. We got, we have it all there in Southern California. And so, you know, life in the minor leagues just wasn't, just wasn't doing it for a lot of guys. And they, they went home and, and they retired. They, they were drafted second, third round. Um, but yeah, it's, the game's hard, you know, and, and you're, you're right. I only spent a year and year and a half in the minor leagues. Thank goodness for that. But, um, you know, thank goodness, like with the A's at that time with Miggy, with the Hada, Ben Greaves, the door was kind of open for us young guys. And that was, if I, if I look back at it, what I was thankful for most was that Billy Bean and, and that front office group had a vision for what they wanted to do with us, you know, with Ben Grieve and Tahada and myself right away. They're like, Tahada's playing short. You're going to be playing third. Like, that's it. And I was like, cool. All right. I'll jump over that. I don't care. I just want to get to the big leagues. And they had a vision for all the guys that they, they drafted. Then they drafted the pitchers, Hudson, Mulder, Zito, 
and they kind of brought us together, groomed us together. And we kind of grew together, which was, which was, which was pretty awesome. It was a good group, a really good group. I, I just wish we could have stayed together a little bit longer, but uh, obviously being in Oakland, the financial constraints, but it was a good group to come up with and, and <clears throat> it worked out, you know, but I, I like I said, I, I kind of question from a maturity standpoint, if, if going to SC probably wouldn't have been a, probably would have been the better move. Well, I look at, I look at kids today, you know, when they're making that choice and you, and you talk to the parents and you see the kids on the field, knowing what we know now, there are very, very few people that are ready for professional baseball at 18 years old. You know, I, I thought, man, I was the opposite. I came out at, at 18 years old, you know, the 500 in high school and I was a house on fire and I was ready to go. And I was just, couldn't believe I wasn't a number one pick. And they said, you know, you're too small and you're this and you're that. And I took it, you know, I had a chip on my shoulder. I, but if I would have had the opportunity, I would have signed. Thank goodness that I wasn't a high round pick out of high school. I ended up going to USC. I definitely needed that. Not only just from a, a physical maturity standpoint, but I needed to, to be away from, from mommy and daddy for a little bit, yeah. learn to fend for myself. Because when I got drafted out of college, it was a quick trip for me through the minor leagues. I was ready to go. And I was, I was equipped for it. And I don't know necessarily that I, I thought I was equipped when I was 18, but I don't necessarily know that I was equipped for it. So I think you have a good point. There are very, very few guys that are ready. To, obviously you were one of them ready to go out of high school, you know, Mike Trouts, Ken Griffey. Yeah, of course there's exceptions, but, but it's so necessary. You kind of have to be physically mature beyond your years. And I think also mentally mature beyond your years to handle going to high school, going to high school prom. And the next thing you know, you're playing 142 games and you play every day and you've got away from mom and dad and you're taking long bus trips and you're fending for yourself and you're doing your own laundry and you have to be responsible and baseball. It's not a high school baseball league anymore. It's this is what you do for a living. And if you suck, you get fired. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. It's when you're 18, it's those, you know, those years are just so pivotal for, for growth. And like I said, I I think the sheltered life that I had lived in, in San Diego um, and my personality, I just wasn't ready for the world yet. And there was a lot of, pre- I had a financial guy. I was in that, that, um, that, uh, uh, junior sale deal where the guy, you know, he stole money, he stole about $10 million from the charger guys. I don't know if Kotze was in that. I was in that. And I, you know, I was like $200,000. Like it was like, man, like this is, this isn't happening. It was just a lot for an 18 year old to have to, to deal with going straight to high A, um, never been away from home and then playing against that type of competition, thinking, thinking I was failing hitting 270 in a ball, you know, it was just 18. I was just, it was just too young. I didn't know what I was getting into. And, you know, I, I think that's why college just kind of allows you to take those kind of natural steps away from home where you can make a mistake and, your parents are still kind of close there to kind of go help you out, whatever it is. And, um, you know, just getting drafted professionally, all of a sudden my friends were, they're married. Some of them had kids. It was like, Holy, I don't even know how to do laundry on my own right now. Like this is crazy, but it's a lot. It's, it's, it's definitely a lot. But like I said, my, my career worked out. I, I, you know, was in a good organization with, with good players and they had a good vision for me and, you know, it worked out pretty well. 
Get to the big leagues, Art Howes, your first skipper. Uh, big adjustment. Coliseum, I always love your place. And you look at it now, you go there and you visit the Coliseum. It's not the prettiest thing in the world. It's one of, <laughs> it's one of the few, you know, old, old, old facilities left in Major League Baseball. I loved going to play you guys, probably because of our rivalry. I just, I felt I, I hit well there. It didn't bother yeah. me. You know how we have some places we love, yeah. some people we don't. You I, go I there, love Seattle. Yeah, I, I did too. And it wasn't the greatest place to hit, especially when no. we were playing. But uh, take me through that first year, getting adjusted. Art Howe, your first skipper. Yeah, Art was great. Uh, very quiet. Definitely fit my personality. Um, you know, I, I, I love playing for Art. He, he definitely helped me out a lot. It was tough for me because I was <clears throat> I was platooning for the first couple of years, um, you know, and I was young and dumb and wanted to play every day. And, you know, I was like, hey, listen, like we're here to win ball games right now. Like we had Almedo signs was, you know, the guy that I was platooning with and he was raking lefties. Um, but being selfish back then, it was like, hey, I, I want to play. I need to play. I need to play. And it's just Art's like, calm down. Like we're going to get you in there. Almeida's playing really well right now. We're, we're trying to win as many games as we can. And uh, Art, Art really helped me out through those first couple of years. Um, but then having guys like Jason uh, had such a good clubhouse. Um, but Art was definitely right in the middle of that. His personality was perfect for my first couple of years in the big leagues. Yeah, those teams, man. Yeah, Mulder, Hudson, Zito, you mentioned that, the big three. Yeah, Tejada, Damon was there for a minute. I love watching Burns running on and off the field. Jermaine died. Giambi, one of my the funniest guys in your team who would who would constantly, when he wasn't playing, would be motioning to me and trying to get my attention during the game. Menachino. He used to crack yeah. me up. You, and you guys were you guys were different. You had a good time. You were a different type. It was like a frat house over there. Um, it was. But it was good, you know, and, and those were those were some good times. Oh, one, you get your first chance. Like you said, you're playing every day. You hit 32 home runs, 114 ribbies. Uh, you won your first gold glove. You win six in a row after that. Um, and that's the second year. 2000, you lose to the Yankees. 2001, you lose to the Yankees. Early on in the in the program, you talked about uh, – and, and I don't look at it as a failure. I, I just remember you guys being good year in and year out. But you're right. You never got to that big dance. And, and people started to question, well, is Oakland just set up for, for the 162 games and they're not built for the postseason? You know, you hear a lot of back and forth these days. The teams that eliminate uh, that are eliminated in the playoffs in 2022, the press is going to come out. Well, they weren't built for the postseason. They were built for the long haul. Uh, what do you think about that in Oakland? And And – you had a lot of success getting there, but never really yeah. got far in the postseason. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. Like we, I know we played them well. You know, the the first the first year, uh, we weren't ready for them. Uh, you know, they they beat us up pretty good. Uh, game five at home in Oakland. Uh, that first year team wasn't ready to take that step. The second year, that second team was definitely. Uh, probably one of the better teams that I had played on. Um, and this goes back to the, you know, the three run Homer philosophy. Um, I, I just wish myself as a hitter, you know, we <laughs> three run homers versus those pitching staffs just aren't there. They don't come that often. And I just wish I would have had a different approach of simpler approach of, of taking a line drive up the middle. Um, 
you know, like, cause I, I had some good, good games, some bad games, some good series. And I, and I just felt like my approach could have been a little bit better where if we had talked about it as a team, you know, it was like we walk and hit three run homers, but if it was, you know, if we had talked a little bit more about just having a simple approach and not trying to do too much and pass the baton, that's kind of the, you know, you remember playing the angels. I felt like that with you guys too. You guys were, were tough outs. It was like, you didn't want to see Ichiro up there. Didn't want to see Olerud up there. Didn't want to see you up there. You know, guys that could do damage, but were willing to take singles in big situations. And the Angels were like that when they won their World Series. It was like that team was, there wasn't superstars, but they passed the baton. Their at-bats were tough. It was, you know, Kennedy and, um, and Erstad. I mean, those guys just give you really good at-bats. And it, you look at the Yankees. Same thing with them was Paul O'Neill, Tino Martinez, uh, Posada. Nobody hit 30 homers. These guys all hit 20 to 22 homers with a high on base of, of 340, 360, whatever it was. And it was, I just remember every at bat, Bernie Williams, how many 3 2 at bats did Bernie Williams have in his career? And it was like wearing down our pitching staff. And so as I looked at our team versus what those other teams were doing, we lack that. We lack that, like that, those type of quality at bats in a big situation. I lack that, you know, it, but it was it, that philosophy, whatever it was of, you know, take your walks and hit a, hit a three run homer. I, it, that's just what we were taught, what we were talked about. And I just felt like some of those other teams did a better job of having good quality. Even if you get out, right. Bernie Williams was seeing seven pitches in that bat. You know, and then it was a 3-2 tough pitch and, you know, whatever the umpire called it a strike, whatever it was. Like, not every good at bat needs to lead to a hit. And But wearing down the pitcher, one through nine, good quality at bats, that's – and I when I left the game, I just – that's what I have, even in me right now, that's what's burning inside of me. It was just, yeah, the homers are great and the doubles and the RBIs and all this stuff is great, but – in the everyday life of at bats and in the game, good quality at four quality at bats matters. And it, it, and if you can get, you know, six, seven guys in the lineup that are doing this consistently throughout the season and through the playoffs, you're just, I, I, I like the chances better. Like I, I just, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of guilt I have for some of the at bats that I had, some big at bats where I wish I could just change my approach and, and go back and go, you know what? What are you doing? Why are you swinging at that pitch? What were you trying to do? Like, just take the single up the middle or whatever it is. And, and I just think it goes a long way, you know, and you look at the Yankees and like I said, the Cleveland Indians, those guys were, you know, those guys could hit the ball to the park, but they were getting on base at a really high clip. And um, it just made for a, a tough game defensively and, and it wore a pitching staff down. Yeah, that 2002 season, I remember because, you know, we won the 116 and 01. We are off to an unbelievable start. <laughs> you guys had that big, epic run. The Angels, it's not as well documented. They had an epic run in 2002. They chased us down, too. We ended up missing the playoffs in 02, and, and you guys went. You had a great run. You went 30, 32 home runs, 34, 29, 29, 27. You drove in four or 100 four times in the next six. Um 
I mentioned you won gold gloves through 2006. You started to get hit with the injury bug after 2010. You moved on. And my question is, you come up as a kid. You know, you get drafted in 96. All you know is the Oakland A's. All of a sudden, you're going to New York. Big, big. Was that a big shock for you? It, it was. Um, but it was, it was something I needed. Um, and because it was, you know, mentally – the type of player that I was in Oakland, I couldn't get past the, and the injury bug did come and it hit me hard. Um, and I didn't have, hmm, I didn't have the right resources physically, medically to kind of help me navigate through those waters. Um, I was doing a lot, chiropractors and everything I possibly could to just get healthy and on the field. And I just couldn't get the right combination. Um, and then, when I left Oakland and went to New York, I kind of changed my mindset as well. It was like, listen, I don't need to drive in a hundred runs and hit 30 home runs. It's like, and literally like, that's why I was talking about earlier. Just give good quality at batch. Just make all the routine plays that are right in front of you. And I just kind of lowered the bar for myself. And mentally, I think that kind of helped me um, not put so much pressure on myself. It just made the game a lot easier, a lot more enjoyable where it was like, okay, if you don't hit 30 home runs, that's okay. That's not, that's not what your role calls for. And so I made this big mental adjustment. Um, and it just, I was okay with being, uh, you know, a platoon player physically. I knew I couldn't play, you know, it was like, I could play two or three games. And then after that, I need, you know, I needed a day off or two, you know, the back, whatever it was, like, I just couldn't do it. And I was okay being a platoon player. Oh, and by the way, the other platoon players were Andrew Jones, <laughs> Rual Banyas, and Ichiro Suzuki. So uh, on that totem pole, you're the lowest, so you better shut your mouth and enjoy what you're doing. I, I you remember that. Of, yeah. I mean, I re- it was one of the greatest I remember, teams I've ever played on. I remember watching you guys. I said, just look at these guys, the, the bench they have. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a Hall of Fame bench. Oh, I was. I mean, it was unbelievable. So it was, you know, just I think, you know, and – I think of, of the conversation we're having here about success and, and everything, you know, you talk about mindset, you know, you just talk about putting, putting your thoughts in the right space to succeed. And if I went back, you know, I look back at my career, you know, I, I think I would, if I could have mentally made that adjustment a little bit earlier, would have been a little bit better, but you know, the injury bug sucked. I, you know, I shoot the whole, my whole career after 2006, I think I went on the DL at least once a year. So it was, it was physically tough for me, but, um, I grinded through it and, and, you know, there were some, some pretty good teams. I get <laughs> that Yankees team in 2011, man, it was so good. Um, and we ran into a bus all with, with the Tigers. It was Verlander and, uh, Scherzer just absolutely shoved us. But, um, you know, what, what a good team that was. I, I, I couldn't believe that that locker room, if you, Cano, I meant Posada. I mean, oh my God, like you just look everywhere. There's Hall of Fame guys everywhere. So it was, that was a a really fun year for me. And I was very thankful to kind of get away from Oakland. Things weren't going good the last couple of years. And I just needed to change the scenery. And it was, it was definitely huge for me. 
You know, I always I always thought, man, before I'm done playing, I, I loved going to New York. I loved everything about it. I loved old Yankee Stadium. And I thought, ah, maybe right before I retire, I get to play. It never worked out for me, but uh, I could imagine it was it was a lot of fun. You went to the playoffs two more times there. You finish up your career with the Diamondbacks. Hell of a career, Chavi. You got uh, 260 home runs, 902 ribbies, six gold gloves. Currently, the bench coach for the New York Mets. One question, I'll get you out of there. Yep. Uh, New York media. Yeah. Big, big adjustment, big deal or no? No, 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 I don't, I don't think so. I, I just, just, first of all, they got a job to do. And just be honest with them. You know, don't, don't go and hide. If you have, if you've got a bad game or whatever it is or, you got to understand that the media has a job. You know, at times it's not favorable, but it is what it is. If in New York, if you win, they will love you. If you lose, they will boo you. <laughs> it's just yep. it, it expectations are high, and it's like if you don't like the pressure cooker of that, and under like your brothers had to. You know, I'm watching this from afar, and I, I have a, you know, I, I love everything about your brother, the way he goes about it. We we almost were going to work together a couple of years ago, and I was you know, sad about that because I, I would have loved that partnership with him. But, um, you know, I, I think he gets a bad break a lot. It's like, man, this guy's done a really, really good job. I know how he is with, as far as like connecting with people and running a clubhouse. Um, and it's like, man, but it, it's the job you sign up for, you know, if they win, he's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread without a doubt. If they, if, if they continue to kind of fall short, he's, he's going to wear. And, they, you know, I, I think on a personal level, you hate to see that happen to good people because you know they deserve better. But, um, you know, it's just the understanding of, of, of the job and the pressure cooker of, of working in New York. And I told him that. I said, hey, this is where you want to be. To be great, you got you want to be in the pressure cooker because, like you said, if you win, you will be. I, I teased him at the end of the year because, you know, I still live in San Diego and – and the Padres had a great run. They beat an unbelievable team, and the Dodgers go to the next round of the playoffs, and the whole city was buzzing, saying how great the Padres were for beating the Dodgers. I said, that's the difference in San Diego and New York. Melvin's, yeah. what a great job he did beating the Dodgers. <laughs> and, and Aaron's in New York in the Witness Protection Program. Yeah, so it, it was exactly, funny. Exactly. Chavi, I know you got to go. Hey, congratulations, yeah. Athletics Hall of Fame, this, this past year, 2022. Well-deserved. Hell of a career man have a great year this year good luck in new york you just signed verlander so now you got yep. verlander and scherzer the guys that kicked your butt in two <laughs> in 2011 as a player you're gonna have on your side best of luck i appreciate you coming on and what we do each and every boon podcast at the end of the podcast as we kick it back to the voice of the podcast, that voice is Dan Levy. Dan, that's going to do it for the Brett Boone podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone podcast, EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor. Share the Boone podcast, neighbors and friends and all those that love sports. Make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boom Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.